Season 2 of the Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mack. Here at the Casting Light Podcast, we talk about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. You can find us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. This time on the Casting Light Podcast, we have Kelly O'Connell. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks. Uh, Kelly is a theatrical systems designer at Young Equipment Sales. Now, what does that mean? What is, what is Young Equipment Sales? So Young Equipment Sales has been in business in Long Island for 46-something years. It started originally as a locker company for schools, mostly K-12, through some college, some like community service centers type things. And what and are you it, doing there being a theatrical systems designer? Well, they grew into several of the departments where they were servicing essentially the entirety of schools. And about two years ago, they realized, well, you know, we can do everything inside of a school, including like playgrounds and all that kind of stuff, but we never touch the auditorium. We always leave that on the table for someone else. So they actually purchased another theatrical service company based in Long Island about two years ago. And a year ago brought me in to run the lighting division. Now, how long have you been in the business? I told my parents I was going to be a theatrical lighting designer when I was 14 after day one of an internship in Connecticut as a lighting tech. And how long ago was that? I'm 30 now, so 16 years ago. Okay. Give me an idea of the market that YES operates in. Mostly what they market themselves to is K-12, through people who aren't going to be able to spend the money for like a big architecture firm to come in and tell them what to do. They just need someone to be a friend and go and be like, okay, this is what you need. I'm not going to charge you for any of this because we don't charge for any sort of like systems design. There's no fee for me to come in. So we market ourselves to K through 12 who just don't know what they need. In what areas? Oh, mostly in Long Island. Uh, We go upstate. We go to Connecticut. We go to New Jersey. I mean, I just did a proposal the other day for uh, like a cigar bar in Tacoma, Washington. So we'll do anything anywhere, but we're mostly focused on the Long Island, New York, New Jersey market. Mostly driving distance stuff. Well, you know, we are pretty young. We're only two years old. So we're slowly growing our market as opposed to me getting on a plane every other day. Uh, Give me just a a quick overview of a locker company 46 years ago until two years ago when they decided that they wanted the auditorium as well? Uh, Mostly through schools just continuing to ask them for more stuff. So the way they mostly operate is they put all their equipment and all their desks and chairs and lockers and carpets and gym floors on these contracts. Once a school has your equipment on a contract, they can just buy from you. Generally, because it's public money, it has to go to the lowest bidder. But if we give them our price list, say this is our price list, this is our markup, we're never going to make more money than this, we're never going to charge you anything more than this, we can't because we're locked into that contract for a year, the teachers can just buy stuff straight from there within their own budget without having to worry about it. So they kept asking for more and more, like, hey, we're already buying these desks from you, can we just buy chairs? Can we buy drapery? Hey, we need a new lighting console, can we buy that from you too? So from them just getting a good name in the industry and getting a good name on Long Island, people just kept asking them for more and more and more. So they decided to give them more. That's interesting because it's, it's, it's a relationship kind of business that doesn't sound that different from the way some of the major lighting vendors work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are always those people you walk in and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to buy from you guys. You know, your other department did this thing to us. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I can fix it. Don't worry, I'll fix it. And the nice part about being a different division, because each uh, individual division at our company is actually a separate company under an umbrella. So I can always go back and be like, hey, you know, this guy's kind of upset about this. Or, hey, you just got a great, you know, I got a hug from this guy because of the lockers you put in. Isn't that great? So it's this nice kind of partnership where each division, even though I don't know a thing about lockers, I don't know a thing about padding, they don't know a thing about lighting and especially about theater, but we can still help each other out and think about other applications. So I get a lot of, uh, when someone's doing desks or chairs for a school library, they'll look around and be like, hey, you kind of like have a stage over here. Are you interested in a lighting system? And then they put me in in contact with them and I get a sale off of that. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have other divisions kind of watching each other's backs. I see. It's a kind of an old school way to do business. 
They are very old school. And and I'm saying that in the best possible way, that the, it isn't this sort of startup and find, try and find a way to sell the business as quickly as possible. It's the sort of, well, we're, we're going to create relationships with our clients and service them. And they are very cautious about expanding. They don't do anything they don't think they're going to be able to do. And in fact, one of the, one of the taglines the owner always says is, we do best in the world products. So we will never sell something that we aren't going to support. So when you, when I have a client, they get my cell phone number. They don't get my, you know, business cell phone number that the company pays for. They get the same phone num- number that my mom calls me on. So I'm not going to sell some cheap stuff because I don't want that phone call in the middle of the night when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I really like that. And that was a big selling point for me to actually start working there is that I had the ability to say, no, I'm not going to sell that to you, which is so freeing. Or like, yeah. no, you really don't want that system. I just, I can't in all good conscience do that to you. You never get to tell clients no. It's great. And the relationships that your company has built help support that where they're not going to go, well, we'll just go to someone else and buy that. Exactly. Yeah, that's really nice. They'll think of you as a partner that's steering them in, steering them in the right direction. Yeah, a friend. I like to be their friend. So tell me about your job there specifically and sort of how that works. So my job is kind of twofold. One, when someone just needs cable, a lamp, some gel, a piece of equipment, a fixture. They call me, I order it, send it to him, make sure it works, make sure they're happy, make sure they don't actually need someone to come in and teach them how to use it. And then there's the other side of it where someone will call us and be like, nothing works, we can't, our system doesn't work, help, what do we do? That's when it kind of gets fun. I get to go in, talk to the client, usually it's the facilities guys who call, and that's not necessarily the best person to talk to, uh, especially house lights. That's a huge problem. Everyone is changing their house lights to those LED bulbs that they buy at Home Depot and it says dimmable. Oh man, are those not dimmable? They dim to like 40% and then just snap off. But everyone wants to be green. Everyone wants to save energy. So we get a call from facilities guys. Help. These don't dim. What do we do? So I go in, I look at their whole system, I make sure the theater people are there, because it's always the theater people who actually know what's going on, or the chorus teacher, or the band leader, whoever uses that space 100% of the time is the person I want to talk to. So get them into the room, figure out what they actually want versus what they need, which are generally two different things. We want dimmable LEDs. All right, you need house lights that work. Let's start there. And once uh, we kind of go through and figure out what everyone needs, maybe what their budget is, then we sit down and I'll design a system for them. Maybe it's just, you know, swap out the house lights. Maybe it's just instead of those awful zip strips as downlight that you can't even buy bulbs for anymore, let's move to some RGBAs. Let's move to some LED downlights that are going to help you out immensely. Or maybe it's a full system. All right, we're tearing out this old Kliegel rack that hasn't worked in 10 years. We're going to give you a new sensor rack. I'm going to work with an electrical contractor and a general contractor. We're going to get you a whole new system. We're going to put in Prodigy hoist. We're going to put in a whole new sound system. So it can be anything from I need a five-foot DMX cable to I need you to redesign our entire auditorium, which is kind of terrifying sometimes. (laughs) A large portion of it is referrals from other departments or schools that have worked with us in the past. A small portion is coming from our brand new website because we just did a whole rebrand. So I actually am with Yes Theatrical, which sounds way more fun than Young Equipment Sales. Um, So we're getting a little bit through the website because now when you look up Long Island Theatrical Services will actually start to pop up, which is super neat as opposed to not appearing anywhere in Google. But we also do some bids. So when a big project goes uh, public, big school, that has to go to the lowest bidder, right? So we'll start to put together numbers and we'll actually put our name into the hat. And because, you know, we're a little bit too small at the moment to win like the real big jobs, but just showing up and getting our name in, that school district's going to see that we're bidding on theater. So when they have a smaller project, they're going to remember that we were one of the fish in the pond for that. So a lot of it's actually coming from starting to get our name into the bidding pool. 
And then how does that work? Uh, you know, you, you mentioned electrical contracts and general contractors. So when does this go from being just a sales thing to involving other companies? And how do you figure out what the numbers are when you have three or four other organizations all involved? So generally speaking, we will do everything from the wall forward. So we can do low voltage terminations. We can do hang and focus. We can do cabling, addressing, programming, training, all of that. And those aren't things you farm out. You specifically do those things. Correct. Okay. It's usually me. Once we hit the wall backwards, we have to get an electrical contractor involved. The school usually has someone that they prefer to work with. So we just say, I'll work with them. The numbers come from your electrical contractor. Sometimes the contractor wants us to take everything over. Sometimes we are just supply to a contractor. It really has to do with how the school wants to do their numbers. And we can go any of those three ways. There are a ton of electrical contractors we work with. Uh, when you have to pull in a general contractor is if you're going to be destroying and repatching stuff. So then, then that becomes a much bigger job if you have now another contractor in there. But these guys do this stuff all the time. They work with our company constantly for all the other installations that they've done in other places. So, I mean, it's always kind of just a pain to have so many people that have to sit down and be on the same page. But at the end of the day, I... I'm not a, an electrical engineer. Once it hits that wall, I would much rather have someone a little smarter than me standing next to me telling us what to do. Uh, I had a difficult learning process sort of figuring out how to deal directly with electrical contractors during a, a, a landmark space renovation I was involved with for a couple of years. What are the kinds of paperwork and documentation that you need to provide to them to get what you need and what your client needs at the beginning and then in the middle? Uh, mostly riser diagrams just so they understand how the system works. I had someone look at my riser and go, what does this all mean? And I was like, what do you mean what does it mean? It's, it's lines that show where all the cables go. It's just how much more clear could this possibly be? It's so frustrating. I mean, we did a job um, at a high school, and the electrical contractor called me three to four times a day, roughly with the same questions every time. So uh, this is how this works? This is just what yeah, happens? yeah. They aren't used okay. to doing theater. <laughs> and really the problem comes in because they have never had to land a breaker where I tell them to land it. They can just land it at the easiest location. They don't understand that, no, 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 I really need dimmer one to land at dimmer one. I can't have this connector strip that says 14 go to 87. That is going to make everyone go completely batty. That's usually the biggest problem. So if I can show them like an actual diagram of this needs to land here and remind them of it as often as possible, it goes pretty smoothly. That being said, I've never had it go smoothly. So risers are critical. Any other kinds of plans of paperwork that you need to produce? Uh, mostly just through Excel. Just a, you know, dimmer one goes to circuit one. Dimmer two goes to circuit two. Uh, and especially with no, uh, like, echo relay panels are coming into it, mm -hmm. have to be really cautious that they understand the difference between the dimmer rack and the relay rack to make sure they're not landing relays in dimmers and vice versa, totally which is, yeah, another problem we had on that same high school job. Totally understood. They also get, like, really frustrated because they aren't used to, and, like, we all get frustrated when all of a sudden you're like, wait, what are you telling me? Everything I've done is wrong? Or, like, every no, this is how it's done. You're like, no, this is a little weird. I get it. So they get very defensive right off the bat. It's like, okay, calm down. We're all going to, we're going to get through this together because no one's ever died of a lighting emergency. So take a deep breath. We got this. Can you walk us through a recent project that, you know, one of these sort of major ones where you had to involve other contractors and maybe there was a drapery package as well. How did the proposal come in, and then what did you do, and then what happened then? So the uh, biggest project that the company has done with the theater department to date is a high school out in Long Island, and we did the entirety of it. The electrical contractor even worked under us, so we were the ones kind of dealing directly with the architect. They did everything soup to nuts, like gutted the entire theater. Someone else did the theater seats. Someone else did the deck of the stage. But we did the entire drapery package. I think they got seven prodigy hoists, which is huge for a high school. 
um, a, a large sensor rack with relays, touch panels all around to control the lighting, a full LED rig, a huge self-climbing front of house truss, which is great because it is a super high ceiling. Uh, they got the GDS house lights from ETC, which are beautiful. Those dim so well. Uh, and a full new sound system, a smart podium, everything. So we actually won that bid. We were the lowest bidder. So that went all the way. We got the bond. We did all the paperwork. Luckily, we have a front office to deal with all of that because, frankly, I don't know what any of that stuff means because I'm just the designer, which is great. Uh, and then once you bid on the package and win the bid, then we went back in, measured everything, made sure everything was correct, because, you know, you don't want to start working on something before you actually know what's going on in there. But essentially, once you, once you win the bid, it's an easy process. You just order everything, and then you just start installing everything. It sounds, I mean, clearly it never goes that simply, but um, you, we were under a general contractor, so we answered to them, and then we had a, an electrical contractor under us. And everyone just has to work together. you got to figure out your timeline. Like, all right, you don't want the walls to go up before you put in the conduit, that sort of thing. Uh, we did have a problem with the house lights because the company that we originally used went under. So we suddenly were in the middle of this process. You know, school's due to open because you can only do this work in the summer. And we don't have any house lights. So luckily ETC came through for us and I think they managed to ship me 32 brand new house lights in like two days or something insane like that. I know you said just install it, but who's responsible for what parts of that installation? I imagine you guys can't do certain parts. So who takes care of that? And then how do those things get directed? The direction part is where it gets a little cloudy because the EC knows how they're supposed to do it. And I know how I want them to do it. And those things don't always line up, like with the landing of, of different circuits and different breakers. Um, but it's mostly just sitting there every day on that job site with your laptop open, just hoping to catch things that they're doing. You know, they're starting to run electric and sound cable next to each other because they don't know any better. And that's fair. We've all made that mistake. Unfortunately, this is going to go behind walls. Uh, so the general contractor takes care of all of the actual physical um, scheduling. Usually they're the ones in charge of that sort of stuff with our input, of course, to make so, sure. So, so you have to get your projects on their schedule in the right order. Correct. Yeah. And they're usually really good about contacting everyone and asking what our order has to be. I can't work on the house lights after the seats go in because I need to get a scaffold up there. Uh, so the, the general contractor is the one who's in charge of that. Uh, and then we do, we generally are there to support the electrical contractor while they're installing and pulling all the copper. But once they start landing stuff is really when we step in and start finessing. That's when we'll install the connector strips and they'll connect all the cables that they've run to the hoist and everything. Um, they'll do all the high voltage stuff, land it in the racks, and then we'll do the low voltage terminations because, as I've learned, DMX cable is something that they don't entirely understand, and sometimes they try and put the wrong connectors on it. An RJ45 connector does not go well on the end of a DMX cable, it turns out. Uh, so we'll do all that low voltage, like, little nitpicky stuff. And then once all that's done, the EC goes away, the GC goes away, and it's just us with the client. So uh, it's sort of safe to say, I know you said from the walls back, but one might say it's safe to say uh, like from the terminal blocks. Mm -hmm. So they're going to get things to the terminal blocks during inside all these panels, and then you can take things from the terminal blocks out to the... Yeah, we can. We can. If they're, if they're low voltage, you can take things from the terminal Correct. blocks out to the connectors. But if it's high voltage, then... Then they have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, oh, the training is the fun part. That's where you get to come in and get to be the hero because uh, they're just so excited to have finally, usually this is like a years-long process of them begging for equipment and begging for equipment. They finally get the money. It finally gets approved. It's finally installed. And then you get to come in and teach them everything, and it's so much fun. We usually offer training, especially on the consoles, through whomever they buy the console from. I mean, mostly it's ETC because it's all theatrical stuff. Uh, 
So we'll bring one of their trainers out, have them train on the console that when they get a new system that comes with training, so they'll get actually like trained on the architectural stuff, what a dimmer rec is, that kind of um, information, generally from the person who commissions it. Uh, and then most often I'll go back out later when they've forgotten everything and they now they're using it and now they have a lot more questions. I'll go back out and do like a secondary, all right, remember where the power switch is? Yep, it's right back here on the right. Oh, yeah, remember the master has to be up before you. Like all those silly little things that is second nature to us now because we've been doing it for so long. But, you know, that first four-hour training session they get, it's so much information. So I'll go back out and hold their hand through a second round, which is also really fun. And that's they also usually have the students come out, which is so fun to do. Because, like, I remember being that dorky theater kid and just getting really excited when a professional would come in, and now I get to be that professional. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> so it's very customizable and customized for on a client-by-client client basis. Correct, it, yes. none of this is something that you can – there's any, any kind of one-size-fits-all. No. We're uh, – I've been fighting that battle a little bit with my boss. He's going to love me saying this. Uh, he really wants to have packages. Like, this is our elementary school package. This is our middle school package. This is our high school package. We've gone and seen performing arts elementary schools. Mm-hmm. Well, they actually want, like, a real system. Yeah, they have a production manager who wants to talk to you about really specific things. About yeah. How far is that from plaster line? You're like, oh, <laughs> oh okay. So oh, you- <laughs> golly. Yeah, I wasn't ready for that kind of a conversation today. I thought I was just going to an elementary school. So there, there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution, which is a double-edged sword. First, that keeps me really engaged because every day is completely different. It brings me back to my theater days of walking in every day and it being different. But it also can be very time-consuming and arduous, and it seems like, sure, you know, last month, how many site visits did we do at middle schools? Why can't I just hit the middle school button on my quote system and a middle school quote pop out? Because sometimes I feel like it takes me a really long time to get everything done and it should be a lot faster. But the other side is my clients are always going to get something that they want because I'll actually sit down and, all right, what do you need this space? Oh, you have a dance program. You're totally going to need side lighting. Oh, you do mostly chorus stuff. We have to get you fixtures that do a decent white balance so your kids won't go blind reading music. Then you probably need a shell. Ah, uh, yes. My boss does the band shells, thankfully. And you, you mentioned the, that on this one particular project that there had been a bunch of automated systems that were installed, including the automated hoists and the, and the flying bridge out in front of house. Uh, I imagine those things are easier to kind of sell to an educational client than a professional client because they want less things that a student can do incorrectly, less things where a student can get hurt. Correct. Those are the easiest things to sell. You can sell people on LEDs because the janitors never have to change a bulb or gel again, and you can sell people on hoist because the kids aren't going to kill anyone. It is the e- those are the two easiest sales that there are. Uh, it's also really helpful because both of everything, all of that is true. You can set limits so it's never going to crash into the deck, and you're never going to crash it into the ceiling. I mean, there isn't a person in our industry who can say that they've never accidentally crashed a pipe into the floor before. I've done it. And there's a lockout system, so the kids can't screw with it when no one's there watching. It has a dead man switch, so if something happens, the safety of it, while part of me is like, man, those kids should really learn how to use, you know, a hemp system. Like Those kids should really know how to load an arbor if they're going to go into this. But I get where the school is coming from. And you're going to get performing art spaces who are going to resist that kind of stuff. But for a general high school... They're moving more and more towards the the safety over the educational process of learning how to work in, you know, those terrible summer stock theaters. Yeah, I understand that. So we've we've all worked in institutional theaters. Some with have that have amazing features that makes everyone's life better, like let's say the Prodigy hoists. And in some cases, there were these really poor choices made, like one I worked in on actually on Long Island, which had metal halide house lights. Ugh. So they never got turned on because there was no way to dim them and no way to turn them, you know, turn them back on at the intermission and at the end of the show. Everyone was gone before they warmed up. So 
they had simply installed four par cans you know, on each box boom, and they just told me, well, you can't use the circuits because they're powering the house lights. <laughs> and that's, that's what we had to do. So how did each of those situations happen? Those situations happen when the person who uses the space the most wasn't in on the conversation. A hundred percent of the time where you walk into a theater and you see that like one weird thing where like that was a terrible decision. It was because someone who doesn't need to use that space and has no real business making that decision went, whatever, just get it done. Whoever actually uses the space, the theater teacher, the production manager, the technical director was not in on the conversation or they just didn't get asked. They weren't communicated to I can guarantee whoever had those metal halide lights, that technical director, production manager, or whoever had the knowledge that that would be a terrible decision, walked in 10 days after they installed them and went, what on earth is this? Who made this decision? Mm -hmm. And that's why when I go to schools, I'm trying to get, uh, because the company mostly deals with facilities people, those are our contacts. So I keep meeting with facilities directors who like, I don't know, throw up some LEDs. Just make just make it LED. Like, well, I can't really do that because of these reasons. Who did, Bring me to the theater t- teacher. Let me talk to them. Because once you get them in on the conversation, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this school doesn't need an ion. Uh, we actually recently sold, um, a school called us and we sold them a smart fade. And they have an ion. And I could not figure out why they kept asking me for a smart fade. I was like, you have an ion. Why are you trying to buy a bicycle when you own a Cadillac? What's going on here? Why are you doing this? It's a Honda. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> for for a high school, and, it's and that's a Cadillac. Coming, coming from somebody that likes you know, the EO system very much. <laughs> for a high school, that's a pretty fancy thing. Well, it turns out no one talked to when they got the ion no one actually talked to the people who use that space on a regular basis which was the band teacher the band teacher was so scared of the ion he refused to use it but there was no other way of turning on the lights they didn't give him like a a station on the wall they didn't give him anything and the only thing he was comfortable with was a smart fade so they bought a smart fade and plugged it into the wall just so he could turn on the lights for band practice and turn off the lights And that's one of those situations, like, why did you buy an ION if 90% of the time it was just used as a classroom space? Someone didn't bring the person who used that space into the conversation, and they ended up spending way too much money. I mean, that's a best-case scenario. They ended up with something nicer than they needed. But still, had you asked, you would have saved yourself a huge amount of money. So why does that happen? It's usually the money people who are trying to make the decision— Or the band teacher told the head of the drama department that they needed something. They needed a new console. The head of the drama department told the facilities person. The facilities person told the district's facilities person. And you're playing this game of telephone that only goes one direction. And then they find someone like, we need a lighting console. What's the best you got? Here's an ion. Great. Thanks. Have a good day. That telephone game never comes back down the other direction. That is always why that it drives me so crazy when I walk into a school and the facilities guy just is like, I don't know, they said the house lights didn't work. It's like, well, they seem to work. So what's the actual problem here? Oh, they don't dim under thirty percent. Okay, that's a really different problem yeah, than yeah. they don't work. I even mean, even though that that does describe the problem to a certain extent, they correct. don't in fact work. Right, but there's a little bit more if you just find the right person. Like, oh yeah, they just don't dim. Okay, great, different set of solutions. So I, I can see how the method that you, that you are using and your company is using would do your clients well and make them want to recommend you to other school districts. How do clients, how do boards of directors influence the process and in what ways is it good and what ways is it bad? So the clients can sometimes be their own worst enemy. It's the same thing, and I tell this to them all the time when they're like, but I looked up, this looks like a really cool LED. I looked it up on the internet. Okay, great. When I have a cold, I don't Google my symptoms because it tells me I have cancer. Mm-hmm. When you are looking for an LED and you are not a lighting person, don't Google LEDs. 
you're going to get some weird results. They're never going to end up working. You're going to get them and they're going to be some weird European plug, but you didn't know to look for that. They're going to have a crazy mix of colors and they're going to be binned entirely differently, but you didn't know to look for that. So don't Google it. Today I actually saw a friend of mine post on Facebook. Uh, it was a mug that said, don't confuse your Google search with my doctorate. <laughs> I might get that tattooed on me, and <laughs> I'd need a doctorate first, but I might get that tattooed on me. <laughs> but that's, so the clients can sort of be their own worst enemy. Uh, I haven't worked with too many boards of directors in this particular job, but I have worked uh, in the past with them, and I kind of, uh, the idea of a board of directors in most, we do a lot of public schools and some private schools, and I kind of liken them to the principal or the accounting division, which is so held to numbers mm -hmm. that they don't really care about the art. Like, you know, we don't need the fanciest thing. We just need to come in under budget, please, because there is no more money. We're a public school. And I find that they tend to view me as a little bit of the enemy. They believe I'm a used car salesman. I'm just trying to make a sale. I'm trying to make a deal. The nice part about this is I can look at them and tell them, it doesn't matter. You can buy a $5 cable from me. You can buy a $500,000 lighting system. I don't make commission. I'm a designer. I'm not a salesperson. I walk out of here today. You don't want to buy anything. I still get a paycheck. And then they're like, oh, okay, they're not just trying to take us for all we're worth. Like, nope, 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 not what we're here for. So the board, the kind of money people tend to get a little puffed up, um, especially because I'm usually supporting the facilities person, the theater person in the more expensive product. Because, of course, there's a big difference between, you know, the $50 LED you can buy on Amazon and the much more expensive LEDs you can buy from a real manufacturer somewhere. So usually I'm promoting a more expensive product. So... I understand why they can be a little bit uncomfortable with me. Uh, so that usually once you explain, well, you know, with a higher-end product, a more expensive shirt, it's $50 more per fixer, whatever the cost is. But you're going to get this warranty. You're going to get, you know, all this other stuff comes with this, where with this other product you have to buy it separately. And so they definitely hold me accountable for my reasoning. So when I know I'm walking in to that sort of situation, I have to be on my A game because it's no longer getting the theater teacher excited about new fun toys. It's, okay, this is really why I'm recommending this. I really did all of my research. I did all of my homework. Please believe me. <laughs> and what can be good about them? What can they bring that's good? Well, the fact that they make me do all my homework. When I walk into a meeting with them, I know if I falter, if I don't have an answer, we're not going to make that sale. Like that theater teacher is depending on me to prove myself to the board. And what they're doing is they're making sure the product that they're getting is the best for their situation based on budget, based on their needs. So by holding me and other companies that they work with completely accountable, they're making sure that their school is going to continue and they're not going to get in the hole. Nothing bad's going to happen. So it's, it's, it's a necessary evil. It sucks. Those meetings are never fun. But I know that if I get past that, they're getting the best possible solution to their problems. Now what about architects? Same question. Almost the same answer. Uh, but they can actually be your best ally. So when I'm going in and I'm recommending a product, and, you know, I've talked to the architect already usually about going back and forth about different pro products, different solutions to problems. If both me and the architect walk into a room and say, no, really, this is your only solution, there's no argument. And, you know, they also do all their own research and they have all their own opinions on things. And so that's kind of like a, a really good, like, sibling argument against mom and dad. I think the biggest situation I get put in constantly is before that whole process, though. When we get a phone call from a school, especially when it's a, a theater teacher, and they finally got someone to listen to them and give them money, 
and they have money to burn. Finally, they're so excited. They call me and they're like, we want LEDs everywhere. We want, we want spotlights. We want moving lights. We want all of this stuff. I'm like, okay, well, uh, how much, you know, what's your, what's your budget? We got $5,000. Uh-huh. Great. So you have a Dimtronics rack that isn't going to do any of this stuff. So I know that you want all the fun, sexy LEDs, but what you need first is about eight times the money that you have for an entirely new infrastructure, which is going to be a box on the wall. So I just constantly have to be the dark cloud in the room of silver linings. <laughs> like, I know, I know you have $5,000 and that is the most amount of money you've ever gotten from your school district to do upgrades, but... I'm going to be the bearer of bad news. And sometimes we can figure out some solutions. There's a school in Sunnyside, a public middle school. Their Kliegel rack had just, it dead. We but had, man, those K96 things held on for a long time. I mean, Virtually unkillable. I can't believe how long those things have lasted. I'm continuously shocked when I walk into schools. I'm like, you're still using this? This was manufactured before my parents met. <laughs> Why is this still functioning? That's amazing. Taking pictures of it, and they're like, oh, why are you so excited about this? Like, I haven't seen one of these ever. Like, So they get really excited when I get excited about their old dinosaur technology. Uh, but they had this rack that finally just could not be Frankenstein anymore. Mm -hmm. That thing had been resuscitated more times than necessary. You know, they managed to free up enough money that they thought that they could get a system. And their poor kids had been doing theater productions on this stage with the house lights on because the lights don't work. The only mm -hmm. thing that works are the house lights. And it's because it's just a flip switch yeah. in the back of the, the back of the room. And so the kids weren't excited about doing it because there was, there wasn't that like theater magic. They didn't have lights on them. The house wasn't dark. It just looked like a regular classroom. And the parents were kind of complaining because it wasn't great lighting on their kids, so their photos didn't turn out. But mostly the kids were, like, kind of sad. I was like, okay, we have to figure something out. So we managed to come up with this system. It was just eight color source PARs, three show babies, and a smart fade. Until they can, uh, you know, I did a full proposal for a full system. I was like, look, this is all stuff that you can reuse in this bigger system. Now you know how much a bigger system is going to cost you so you can start budgeting. We can do it in waves. You know, The first wave is going to be the most painful because that's a new rack. But we can, you know, every year we can chip away at this until we can totally replace the system. But, you know, eight LED PARs, a smart fade, and some wireless DMX. And one of the teachers hugged me. And the kids came in and the lights were up and they all freaked out and were screaming. They were so excited that they're going to be able to do their show. It was just so cute. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to, you know, think outside of the box a little bit. So that was a time when I got to actually be like, well, your budget isn't going to cover what you want, but maybe we can get you a Band-Aid. Mm -hmm. And selling them something that can absolutely be folded into whatever the sort of full system upgrade, that the, if they ever do it, would yeah. be. That's great. Yeah. Anything that's reusable. And if I, you know, if I give them something that they can reuse, that is just more ammo to turn around to the school district and be like, look, all of this stuff already will go into a bigger system. We're already part of the way there. So we have a Band-Aid until we can get, you know, our arm reset. And it gets them excited about it. And, you know, everyone suddenly. Oh, yeah. You know, and when the school district is like, oh, wow, it does make a big difference. It's even easier for them to start to loosen that that purse a little bit. So I met you many years ago at an event lighting company downtown. You've primarily held production or venue management jobs since I've known you. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your background. Tell me about your previous work. And you told me that you decided when you were 14 that you wanted to be in the business. Correct. What happened then? Uh, Seven Angels Theater in Waterbury, Connecticut. I had an English professor in high school who was like, hey, your writing's kind of creative. If you do a lighting design for me for our theater production, because, of course, he was also the director, I'll give you an A on your next exam. Like, done. I have no idea what lighting design is. I've never been interested in theater before, but uh, for an A, I will do it. Uh, so I walked in, and they had an old strand. And I, he just sat me down with a manual, 
and pointed up at all the, the catwalk and was like, that's a catwalk. There are the lights. That's the board. Here's the script. And it was Agamemnon because that's totally appropriate for a high school to be doing. I, I think it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Greek tragedy. I mean, that's totally appropriate. I mean, Greek tragedy, but that one's rough. There's like the concubine he brings home to his wife and his wife is sleeping with her cousin and then she kills them all and licks the blood off the knife. Like it's a little much for, you know, 14 year olds. That being said, I loved every second of it. So I read the entire manual cover to cover, figured out how to run the strand console, was so into like all the pretty colors I could make the lights, was so in like figured it all out just from the other kids showing me what to do. I actually won a lighting design award for it when we went to some uh, Connecticut Drama Association festival where, like, kids do theater off. And I was like, done. This is it. This is what I'm going to do. Mom, okay. Dad, I'm going to go to Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm going to be a lighting designer. My parents are like, who are you? How did that happen? Really? Okay, sure. You're 14. You'll figure it out. And then I started working at a the Seven Angels Theater, this community theater in Waterbury. Met a whole bunch of people I'm still very good friends with to this day and have never wavered from that. So I, you know, worked at that theater. I got into Webster, loved every second of Webster, left Webster knowing that I was a good assistant and an okay designer. I was like, all right, maybe, maybe I should try something else. Uh, I had a friend who worked at an event lighting company. I was like, you know what? We're looking for a production manager. It's mostly paperwork. It's a lot of drafting. You're going you're gonna to kill it. It's going to be great. Got hired there, was immediately in over my head. Uh, Teresa Umfried, who has been on this podcast before, she was actually one of my head freelancers. She's one of my crew chiefs. And completely just like, all right, here's some floaties. We're going to teach you how to swim here and really helped me in the event world, knowing what I was doing. So I worked at that event company uh, for a while. It was kind of like, all right, I need, I kind of feel like I maybe need to get back into theater because I'm kind of getting burnt out. Like I'm doing, you know, two weddings a day and then like a party at night and I'm just too, I'm, I'm getting too ragged. So I, I kind of felt like I needed to get back into theater, kind of refill that coffer of my soul. And I started associate designing for someone I had met because I can do the paperwork. But man, if I'm not 100% in it, I'm a terrible designer. I'm a terrible lighting designer. I just don't, if I don't feel it, I can't paint it. But I can draft and do paperwork all day long and be the happiest person on the planet. The other thing I also love is trade shows and people always laugh at me. I love putting together a trade show. Anyway, so I went into, uh, I went back into theater for a little while, was associate designing. I went and was a production manager for the Shakespeare Festival out in St. Louis, which was so much fun. It's a completely free festival, totally open to the public, completely open in a park, no walls, no seats, nothing. But they get between three and 6,000 people a night, which is kind of fantastic. Yeah. For a four-week run, getting three to 6,000 people a night, I mean, it's a difficult show to kind of figure out and like, all right, well, we're in a big park. What are we going to do this year? Uh, a lot of budgeting, a lot of looking at the sky and being like, how do I do an unrain dance? How do I get the tornadoes to go away? Um, started working, then left the Shakespeare Festival because I was getting burnt out on theater. Because we all do that sometimes. Sometimes you're like, I just don't, I don't want a warm fuzzy. I just want a paycheck. I started working at a trade show company, still out in St. Louis. And finally I was like, oh man, I got to get back to New York. I can't. I love doing trade shows. I was traveling constantly. Uh, I kind of realized I needed to stop doing that when I was in, I was in the airport in Vegas at seven o'clock in the morning waiting for a flight home to St. Louis and the guy at the, like, daily newsstand said, hey, good morning, Kelly, how you doing? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> the guy at the daily newsstand in this wing of the Vegas airport knows my name. 
maybe it's time to get off the road. <laughs> so what were you doing for that trade show company? I was a production coordinator. So I mostly did labor. So I did a lot of the union negotiations. I did a lot of pink contract dealings. I did a lot of travel arrangements for all the guys, making sure we had someone in the area who could deal with all the local labor we needed when I brought in all the crew heads. Uh, I did a lot of the shipping and trucking, making sure our trucks were actually getting packed, making sure our trucks were leaving on time, making sure we had rented trucks for that event. You know, when you're sending 17 semi-trucks across the country, someone should probably call the trucking company and make sure that they know we need 17 trucks that day. Mm-hmm. Mostly my job. Uh, it was also mostly following one of the VPs of the company around and making sure little bits of information that people told him didn't just fall out the back of his brain. (laughs) I mean, they did huge corporate private trade shows. So it wasn't any, anything, it was nothing you could buy a ticket for. It was mostly for companies, for their own people, for their own vendors, for their own clients, stuff like that. So, I mean, they had huge, uh, one of the events we did had Leonard Skinner as the headliner. It was their surprise treat. They got a Leonard Skinner concert. So that uh, that seems like a really good sort of series of things to have been in. To oh, I also be... spent six months at an architecture firm. Oh. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Wow. Doing doing what? Architectural lighting. All right. I was one of their. I was a, an assistant project manager for them, so I mostly did shipping, ordering, going to job sites, programming button stations. So it sounds like a great series of jobs to do before ending up on the one that you're in now. Yeah. Uh, it's been a weird it's been a weird journey, but every single one of my jobs has taught me something that I'm using. Like there isn't a single job I've done. I mean, we've all had jobs where we're like, I cannot believe I took that gig. But every single job I've had has given me some little nugget that I still use today. What are you seeing happen in the end of the business that you're in, what sort of trends are you seeing? Are, are things coming up? Are things fading away? How is that changing? LEDs. Everyone wants LEDs. There is a great need and desire for facilities to switch over to LEDs because it is more green, it takes less energy, it creates less heat to so the HVAC, it doesn't have to be on as much. Everyone wants LEDs. It is very easy to convince a facilities director to buy new fixtures if they're LEDs. It is very difficult to convince a facilities director to buy something that is not an LED, where he's going to have to change lamps, it's going to take a lot of energy, it's going to take a lot of burning gel, it's going to create a lot of heat. It's very difficult to convince them to go that route. I I don't think anyone, I don't think any one of my customers has asked for Lico's. For anything other than LED fixtures. Yep, 100% LEDs these days. What are your thoughts on that? It works for them. I don't know if I would recommend it for performing arts schools. I don't know if I'd recommend it for colleges. But for, you know, a middle school where they just don't, they don't have the facility to get up and change lamps. They don't have the facilities, people, to get up and change gel. They're not looking for the artistry of it. They're just looking so that the parents can take pictures of their kids and see the faces. LEDs are perfect for that. They're no maintenance. We come in and set everything up for them. We train them how to do it. They call me when they have a question. It makes perfect sense for that application. All right. And uh, how about the business as a whole? Watching the argument of LED versus incandescent is fascinating. I think that argument isn't going to go away for a long time. LEDs are certainly catching up to the finesse, especially some of the color stuff that uh, ETC and other companies are doing. But I, you're going to get a lot of people who are not going to let go of their 575 and 750s. And I don't know which camp I'm in. I think I'm squarely in between and just kind of watching them fight it out. I know which camp I'm in. Oh, yeah? Which camp are you in? Man, time marches on. You know, the Silver Gelatin 
photographs, prints of photographs are the most beautiful. There's no way to make a photograph more beautiful than that. Mm-hmm. Or to print a photograph more beautiful than that. But they're toxic. The chemicals are toxic. You just can't use it anymore. I don't, I, you know, I, 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 I like the way it looked. I'm glad it's gone. Um, if incandescent or tungsten lamps can be made way more efficient than they are, if they can approach the efficiency of an LED fixture, then sure. But if they can't, then they can't stay. Carbon arc follow spots, people say those looked better than, say, a xenon or a short arc. But they're not safe. They had to go. You know, throwing away the energy that we put into a fixture because most of it gets turned into heat and sort of all the other things that go along with that don't make sense either. Mm-hmm. Like needing these gigantic dimmer racks and needing all this copper to run from those gigantic dimmer racks out to the fixtures just so you could have individual control over each fixture sounds insane. The infrastructure required to support tungsten or incandescent just doesn't make sense anymore, in my opinion. I, you're totally right. But I just have so much trouble arguing against people who just really love the art. It's all just light. I agree. It's all just light. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating. I, remember I, I love listening to this argument. <laughs> I had a thing with a, an event designer who insisted that we couldn't use LEDs because natural light is created by fire. And that's where light comes from. And LEDs, it's, 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 not, it's not the same kind of thing. It's an electrical current exciting a thing. And I, and I thought... Well, no, natural light is a nuclear fusion reaction (laughs) happening millions of miles away. But you're not suggesting that we have nuclear fusion reactors creating light in each one of our fixtures. Wow, that seems like a really poorly put together argument. Light comes from fire. I do really enjoy explaining how LEDs dim, like through information as opposed to voltage to people in theaters that I work with, because they don't know. They Mm -hmm. don't understand why the bulbs are flickering when they put them in. So that's always a really fascinating moment of like, sure, I understand that you think they're broken. They're not broken. This is what's going to happen unless you spend a lot of money. And it's always a fascinating where you like sit down and you draw the sine wave and you explain how it, you know, clips the sine wave. This is how a normal dimmer works. Yeah. So what else do you like to do? Oh my gosh. I'm the worst at answering this question because it's super nerdy. Uh, Generally, what I do if I'm not at work, I'm either running, uh, and I have a zombie app, so I'm running from zombies. I find it makes me run faster and longer if I think that there's a zombie behind me. Uh, I suggest it highly if you have trouble motivating yourself to actually get out and run because it gives you a storyline. So it's kind of like a book on tape that just randomly interrupts your music and is like, zombie behind you, and you have to start sprinting. You do kind of look like an idiot uh, running around the streets suddenly sprinting on New York City sidewalks, but it's kind of okay. Um, I am a little bit obsessed with fantasy football, and I actually just won my championship in my league this year, which I'm very proud of. Uh, And I unfortunately play a lot of Minecraft Okay. Me and a whole bunch of 13-year-old boys. <laughs> um, I know people love Minecraft. Oh, they love it. You know, it's really relaxing. I actually play with some other people in the industry. So uh, at one point, we had a fully formed theater that we built with like a little booth and everything, stadium seating. It was real cute. We decided to stop building theaters in our, our little world because we had enough of that in real life or lifecraft as we call it. Did you have any mentors? I did. Uh, two of my absolute favorite people that I would not live, I would not be doing this for a living without them, uh, is Peggy Tierheimer. She's the master electrician. Well, she was the master electrician for the Repertory Theater of St. Louis. She's also an adjunct faculty member for Webster. And she still is the master electrician for the Opera Theater of St. Louis. She is this powerhouse of a woman who got a degree from Webster as a technical director. Something happened to the master electrician when she was just out of college, and they threw her into that position. So she just figured it out. Mm -hmm. She's one of the best programmers. Uh, She is a fierce woman. The guys in that union, and St. Louis's union is very good. Uh, Their stagehands are very old school, so there aren't very many women. So the fact that when Peggy walks into the room, all the guys just stand at attention because they respect her so much, it's just really amazing to watch. 
that she can do more things at a time than a human should be able to. I have seen her program with her back to the stage, just listening to the designer, programming with one hand, playing Sudoku on the computer with the other, giving you know any of the students running around notes about things that have to be fixed off the top of her head, telling someone else the gel order for the following show. And she's also, when she's bored, doing taxes, because she's also a performing artist tax specialist. So she teaches a tax seminar for theater kids at Webster. She is still my accountant, uh, but she taught me sort of grace under fire. You always have to be ready to just go dive in up to your elbows and cable and just do it. Sure, no one likes pulling Sacco, but sometimes it just has to be done and it has to be done fast. And she is always, even when the guys aren't great to her, even when someone's jerking her around, stern. She's certainly not going to let anyone walk over her, but professional and just gets the job done. Doesn't take anything personally. Fantastic mentor. Okay. Fantastic woman to work under. Uh, and then the chair of the department at Webster is a woman named Dottie Marshall Inglis. She is just the sweetest person. And she taught us, especially as females in the industry. And I will clean up her language a little bit in this. Uh, look, at some point, you're going to have to be a bitch. But when you choose to be a bitch, you have to make sure that you're right. Because if you're a bitch and wrong, ooh, there's another word for you then. And I was just like, oh man, you're right. Sometimes I am going to have to throw down but before I do that, I better double check everything and make sure that I'm the one in the right. Because especially as a young female coming into you know these union houses and going into these convention centers and walking onto these job sites, I mean, even today, walking onto job sites where it's a, it's a boys club, there's a ton of electrical contractors, there's a ton of general contractors, there's a ton of union guys. I walk in, I'm like, hi guys, I'm the one telling you what to do today. I have to choose my battles and I have to be right. That was a that was a good lesson to have learned at a very young age so I didn't have to make that mistake. It's sort of an infuriating lesson that it's, you know, there's like the industry the way we wish it was and there's the industry the way it is. And it drives me insane that that lesson has to be taught. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's getting, I mean, there are more women in lighting than have ever been in lighting. So I think that's starting to change. I'm running into significantly, I mean, maybe it's because, you know, 10 years older than when I learned that lesson, but I'm running into very little of that backlash. I'm, people aren't really pushing back against me anymore. I mean, maybe it is because my hair's starting to get gray, so they think I'm uh, not some young girl walking in trying to tell them what to do, but I mean, I've noticed a change. Uh, out in, out in uh, oh, you know, I'm going to leave the city out of this just in case. Uh, I ended up having to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a union business agent. And I didn't want to. And you know what? The first time I was super young, I didn't know better, and I just backed off. I was like, mm -hmm. I must be wrong. Uh, maybe I'm wrong in this. And he was completely unpleasant and completely just saying things he certainly should not say. And I just backed off. I was like, nope, I, I, I don't know enough. I'm going to walk away from this. This is going to be a bad situation if I put my foot down. And a year later, we got into another situation where he just came right into my face. And I just went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I was like, nope, I know I'm right. I am not backing down from this. And we had words in front of the entire crew. And I earned so much respect that day. Because not only was I right, I was actually arguing for his guys. He didn't realize that I was actually helping him, not hurting him, but he didn't wait long enough for an explanation before he flew off the handle. He ended up being one of my greatest allies from that moment on, and my crew never worked harder for me. It's just frustrating that, you know, had the roles been reversed, he would have gotten a pass and you wouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. Super frustrating. Ugh. But I'm, I mean, I'm just happy I had women teaching me who had already gone through that, who were able to give us the heads up. Yeah. 
Because walking into that without knowing has got to be awful. Do you have any advice for new people? Uh, know your worth and be willing to say no. I mean, that's a lesson that everyone has to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you get a job offer and you just don't feel right, and you're like, man, I don't think they're going to pay me enough. Like, I'm a little weird. They want me to front a lot of money. They want me to, you know, they're going to reimburse me for stuff. And if you feel dodgy about it, don't get yourself in that situation. Just say no. It's mm-hmm. okay. Everyone says no. Be comfortable saying no. And I guess one of my last questions is you found this interesting niche in the business at Young Equipment Sales. And it sounds like a part of the industry that really needs service. How can people find interesting places like that? Like what parts of the business are underserved? What parts of the business are overserved? What are some places people could be looking for perhaps a, not the same situation, but one where you can kind of slot in and find this whole new maybe business? I was really hoping you were going to go into a whole new world. I Aladdin found- on Broadway. <laughs> That'd be, oh man, if you only had a sponsor, that would have been a perfect segue. Disney theatricals. <laughs> Speaking this of is an overserved number. market. <laughs> Just kidding, Disney, hire me. Um, I I would not have found this job had I not just asked questions of my own colleagues and asked for help. Uh, the way I actually even found Young Equipment Sales is I was working at an event space in the city that I will not name and was looking for some LEDs, and I went through all my normal channels, called my vendors, didn't get the best stuff was starting to find some stuff that I really didn't want. Uh, asked some friends and like, you know, there's another dealership out in Long Island. You might want to talk to their new kind of dog in the fight. They're hungry for business. So they might give you some good prices. And I just got in this really good rapport with the guy I was talking to over there. And I made a joke to him one time just completely off the cuff. And I was like, well, you know what? You don't have to worry about giving us too much of a deal on this because there's no way I'm going to be here for the install of this LED. Like, I'm out. (laughs) I'm quitting. I'm done. And he went, really? Are you interested in maybe being a system lighting designer for schools? I was like, what? Uh, Did this just turn into a job interview? And he's like, yes. I was like, okay, great. Let's, uh, yeah, let's have that conversation. But if you, if you think that there's a need for something, if you're like, man, I really wish someone did this, then someone else is thinking that too. So Google it. Ask people. Constantly just ask your friends, ask your colleague, ask people that you meet working at a show. I have a lot of kids out in Long Island who are students emailing me because I tell all the teachers, like, look, I was so lucky to meet a ton of professionals super young that just reached down and helped me up that ladder. I was so lucky to meet a whole bunch of professionals right when I moved to the city who were like, hey, great, let's go get a drink. And I was able to ask them a ton of questions. So I give out my email address constantly. I was like, all the kids can email me all their questions. They want to know about college. They want to know about LEDs. They want to know what show to go see. They want to know what I had for breakfast. I don't care. Have them email me. It's fine. So just keep asking questions. Be comfortable asking questions. People say there aren't any stupid questions. There are totally stupid questions, but ask it anyway. No one cares. It's fine. And if I think it's a dumb question, I won't answer. And what's that hurt? Nothing. And if people want to learn more about you, learn more about yes, they can head to... So we just rebranded, and I would love opinions on our new website because I worked very hard on it. Because, as you know, as a lighting systems designer, website design is totally in my wheelhouse. But uh, we have a brand new website. It's called yestheatrical.com. Our, our, all of our contact information is up there. Uh, it has a really unflattering picture of me. If you want to see what I look like in a mugshot scenario, um, it has all of our contact information, including my personal email and our phone numbers and everything. Uh, so it's yestheatrical.com, and you can see all the fun stuff that we do. And I swear I will start posting social media e stuff on there too once I get those up and running. Okay. As a lighting systems designer, you know, social media. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, this has been super fun. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Casting Light Podcast. Visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. 
You can use the contact form there to let us know what you think, and you can find all of our previous episodes there. We're also on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast and on Twitter at Podcasting Light. Our theme music is Color Me Dead by The Lame Drivers. You can learn more about them at lamedrivers.com. The Casting Light Podcast is a production of Casting Light Incorporated. I'm your host, Jason Marin. Thanks for downloading, and have a good show. Good show.